All right, all right, all right. This is the third installment of a trilogy that asks the big questions. To remind you, the, the first question was, who am I? The next question, why are we here? And this question that we'll cover today, why am I here? And of course, I'm answering these questions for myself. These are questions I constantly ask myself to give me better clarity. And ultimately, uh, leading to this third question, purpose, meaning, and mission. And I'd like to start out with a quote from Viktor Frankl, Holocaust survivor and author of the book, Man's Search for Meaning, who wrote that we ask, what is the meaning of life? Actually, it is life asking us what is the meaning. And the answer that we give is the actions and behaviors we do. I love that quote and I love it because I feel like the first two questions, who am I and why are we here, is myself asking what is the meaning of life. And the second part of his, uh, Viktor Frankl's quote there, is that our actions and behaviors provide the answer to life asking us what is the meaning. And I feel like the third question here really drives into that second part of Viktor Frankl's quote. Because stacking on the first two, why am I here really guides me into identifying my purpose and my mission. And I, and I make a distinction between purpose and mission here. I, for me, and these are my answers, your answers are going to be different. They should be different. These are just you know, monologues of, of myself and how I unpack these questions. It doesn't have to be the way that you unpack it or go through it, and, and certainly um, these are subjective and, and, and shouldn't be the same that, that, that anyone else would have. But for me, I make a distinction between purpose and mission in terms of, for I think the purpose is, is universal and that I believe all of us are, are put here on this planet to learn, to grow, and to be the best versions of ourselves possible and our selves, what part of selves, right? So our physical self, our mental self, our spiritual self, so mind, body, spirit, but also social selves, professional I'd even put in there, and even environmental, like what impact are we having on the environment? And there's more, but for the relativity of this discussion, I think those are plenty. And in each of those areas, you know, I find my purpose is to figure out how can I be the best version of myself physically, mentally, emotionally, I didn't mention, spiritually, socially, certainly, environmentally. When I look at those different dimensions of self, of health, and my purpose in doing that, one thing that I fully recognize, especially as a person with a disability, I may have limitations in some of those areas. I have a vision impairment. That's a physical limitation, which might also inhibit me in, in other areas as well. 
And so people with disabilities, when I unpack this and, and answer this for myself, I invite you to think about this as well and, and fully recognize that our potential in each of those areas would be different based on disability, but also for anyone. We're also going to have different potential in each of those areas that we can attain for ourselves. And it's a tall order to try and reach your our potential, my potential, in terms of physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, social each of those areas and the idea that I could fully optimize and reach the potential in all of those, uh, I don't have the hubris or ego to think that I can, but I certainly want to live a life that I'm going to put my best foot forward and be in the best version of myself in each of those areas as much as I can and possible. And I know going into this that it's about harmony for me. I'm not even going to say balance. Balance for me would mean that I'm doing 20% proportion goes to physical, 20% to mental, 20% to social, 20% to emotional, 20% to spiritual. And that comes out to say 100%. And that to me, yeah, it's um, equity, it's equal, but I don't find life that I'm living to be like that. To me, it's more of a harmony. So for example, when I'm doing well professionally, I might be suffering a little bit physically. I'm not having as much time to take care of my physical health because I'm going all in professionally and spending a lot of time there. And my social health might be suffering because of that as well. And then the contrary and corollary to that might be spending some time focusing on my physical health, my social health, might not be excelling in my professional endeavors as much as I would like to be. I see this more as a harmony. When I do well in certain areas, it might not give me the time and attention to focus on the other areas. And, and there's a certain balancing act that kind of goes on with that. So that's the fun of life for me, right? And so how to do this? How do I do this walk between all those different dimensions? Before I go into the how of this, I do want to zoom out and talk about how this does relate to independent living. So independent living breaks out into a few different buckets. Services. Independent living is services. We've talked on, especially in season one, about the different services that independent living does. The other bucket would be independent living philosophy. There's certain philosophical tenets that accompany independent living on the previous dojo on why we are here. I mentioned some of those philosophical tenets that we share a, you know, a common history and a struggle and that we're better together as a community and, and tied that into my answer for why are we here. So there's a philosophical bucket. Well, there's another one, and it's the independent living movement itself, which was started by Ed Roberts in the early 60s. And like any social movement, it doesn't occur in a vacuum and often will come up with other movements that happen and take from others and give to other movements as well. And so, for example, the independent living movement happened concurrently with the civil rights movement. And in the independent living movement was uh, focused on civil rights for people with disabilities. A lot of the strategies that were being used in the civil rights movement was adopted in the independent living movement. The independent living movement led to the movement for deinstitutionalizing disabilities, getting people into the community. The independent living movement also was co-opted some of what was going on in the consumerism movement of the 70s and 80s. So the idea that from a capitalistic point of view that consumers, those who purchase goods and, and services, 
are the experts and, and goods and services should be tailored to meet their needs. Well, the independent living movement took a lot of that to heart and saying the services that we give should be based on, and this is where the term consumers come from in the independent living network, is that the, the people we serve are the experts and they are the ones that should be dictating what the programs and services that should be developed and, and to be given them to. The demedicalization movement, to demedicalize disability to look more at the social environmental context in which disability occurs was a movement. And of course, the modern movement, and which isn't so modern, it's been going on for a long time, in terms of systemic equity, especially when we're talking about race and how that also is being integrated into with people with disabilities who come from another race besides being white. And what does that mean? That movement's having a big impact on independent living. The movement I'm going to go in on, which I think gets sometimes the least amount of attention in the world of independent living, is the self-help movement. So the self-help movement really, again, was kind of in the 70s and 80s, got popularized, and to this day is a multi-billion dollar a year industry. And so the self-help movement, wherein you can find so many books, podcasts, resources out there nowadays, more accessible than ever, that can talk about how to be physically healthy, be mentally strong, be emotionally fit, to have the best social life possible. Professionally, there's so much out there and so many resources. The self-help movement is wide and it is very deep. It has a lot to offer. There's also some trappings that I'll get into as well. But that is part of the independent living movement is this self-help movement, this idea that we can figure out ourselves on how to help ourselves. That's part of the independent living. And nowadays, there's just so much access to this that we didn't have in the 80s and 90s, uh, certainly, that are out there. And when I look at the different areas and dimensions I just mentioned, I can tell you some of the things that, that I've been utilizing, some of the resources that have been out there for me to achieve my purpose and trying to be optimize all these different dimensions would be, say, for instance, in the social health arena. When I grew up, you know, I often heard from uh, my parents that, you know, I didn't come with an instruction manual, you know, how to raise a baby to a child, to a teen, to be a functioning adult in society. And they were right. You know, I didn't come up with an instruction manual, and there certainly wasn't like a ton of you know, how-to parenting, as certainly compared to nowadays, that there are out there. I can tell you right now, as a parent, I am constantly going through resources on how to be the best parent that I can. I'm, I'm reading a book called The Self-Driven Child, another book on how to raise kind humans, another book on The Awakened Family, which involves conscious parenting. And, and so I'm consuming this information to figure out socially how to be the best father that I can be man, just go look into books about or podcasts about or YouTubes about or workshops about intimate relationships. Esther Perel puts out a lot of information. Lori Gottlieb, how to have those intimate quality relationships that are out there. So the social health realm, uh, tons of stuff that are out there and whatever role socially that you're looking to be better in. Physical health, how many resources are out there that are advising on how to live physically active lifestyles? How many different types of nutrition books are out there? How to get adequate sleep, manage our stress, kick addiction. There's so much information out there in terms of promoting 
our physical health professionally. Wow. There's tons of stuff out there. You know, Tony Robbins, who really was one of the people that I think have really helped to popularize the self-help movement. His main thing is trying to teach people how to be the best version of themselves so that they can go start the next great entrepreneurial business or venture to bring into the world. You got Simon Sinek, who wrote the book Start With Why, which is widely popular. His YouTube TED Talk, which went viral and practically broke the internet, is sold in the business section. And he even talks about how he's more into writing about spirituality, but recognizing that he doesn't want to be in the spiritual section. Right? He wants to be in the business section because a lot of people work and that's where they'll, they'll buy his work. He has stuff out there. Brandon Bouchard, um, Six Habits of Highly Effective People. Steve Covey, who wrote his book, Seven you know, habits of uh, highly successful people. So much is out there, especially in the entrepreneurial realm about um, how to professionally succeed. By the way, a lot of those books are asking people, the readers and the people that consume this information, who are you? What's your purpose? Why are you here? They're not hitting people over the head with how to build out a spreadsheet and, you know, look at marketing tactics and strategies. Yes, those are out there. But in the professional world, it's more or less going in on the questions that we are in here. Um, mental health. You've got Jim Quick, uh, his book on Limitless and his podcast on Limitlessness. He's somebody that had traumatic brain injury. And despite many of the people telling him uh, that he will never learn and be a functional part of society, he's one of the people that can walk in a room of 300 people and people can introduce themselves and their names and he can pick all of them out and who they are. You know, mental toughness, uh, you got David Goggins, Can't Hurt Me. Um, you got Deep Focus by uh, Cal Newport, who talks about how to do very intentional, mental, deep focused work and knowledge economy and how to do that without distractions. So you got people out there that are providing all kinds of rich information that we can learn about to become better in that area as well. Emotional health. If you haven't already heard about emotional intelligence and the work of David Goldman, uh, very powerful. It talks about understanding our emotions, understanding the emotions of other people and how to navigate that. Dr. Susan David, a Harvard professor that talks about emotional agility, amazing book, which I think is going to reinvent a lot of what's talked about in terms of emotional intelligence and you know how to come to terms with a lot of the tough emotions that we have and how to cultivate more nourishing and healthy emotions, a very important part of our the dimension of who we are. And again, one of my purposes is to, you know, live an authentically, emotionally uh, healthy life. And then you got uh, the spiritual realm. And man, you got people from Wayne Dyer, who's been writing since the 70s and, and has all kinds of great videos out there that are that are about that. You got Rob Bell, you have Deepak Chopra, you got all kinds of people in the spiritual realm if you're looking to understand more about that. And you even have people that are atheists. Sam Harris, who isn't subscribed to any kind of organized religion, but sees how science and spirituality do go hand in hand. And so there's a, there's a lot out there in terms of the, the spiritual realm to resources to dive into and to learn to get better at. And so this self-help realm, which is a part of the independent living movement, is so important, I think, for us to really think about how we can do it. And yeah, someone might, you know, not need all these resources or that are out there and, you know, can navigate that on their own. But for me, I've, I've needed some of that myself. 
and, and recognize some of the trappings in this too. So fully understand that I could read all the books that I want to, listen to all the podcasts that I want to, uh, watch all the videos, go to the latest workshops and webinars and, and get educated on it. But as a really great educator once told me, education is needed, but not sufficient in terms of executing on behaviors. It's one thing to have potential, but to actually execute on behavior is a whole different thing. And, and if information was enough, I think it was Warren Buffett said that we would all be billionaires with six pack abs. You know, so it's not just information. Uh, and a lot of this stuff is information and it is no good unless we put a lot of the good information into practice. And, and again, the self-help industry, just like many other industries, are full of people who are peddling snake oil, um, that are charlatans and, and are really in it to make some money. Even some of the people I mentioned here that have detractors and, and be very wary of really consuming uh, what they have to offer and to say, I think should be something that should be duly noted. And, and just in the, you know, the implication in and of itself, the name self-help uh, implies tacitly at least that we're broken and we need to be fixed. And that in and of itself can be something that I find to be uh, kind of keeping me into this space of always needing help and you know not arriving and always striving to be better. Yeah, it can have that implication on it and it can be addictive. I find some of this stuff wildly fascinating, interesting. I try to put it into practice into my life. And so maybe I've uh, trading, you know, one thing for another here and can be consuming this too much. And it can be almost in a trap of itself. I think I was hearing uh, a testimonial from somebody who said, yeah, this is my 15th workshop at a Tony Robbins performance or weekend or whatever it is. And then it's like, wow, well, shouldn't you be healed by now? You know, are you having to keep coming back, you know, to this kind of thing, you know, to be able to do, you know, so I can see where it is almost in and of itself addicting. So while I do talk about the importance of improving myself to the best of my capabilities in each of those different areas and how I do lean on resources because I don't know everything and try to learn as much as I can from other people and how accessible it is nowadays to have that information at my fingertips. It does come with those caveats in terms of a, a, a trapping. So, so why am I here? Again, trying to be the best version I can in all those different dimensions and all those different areas. I find to be a universal purpose for all of us. I, I do believe we are um, creatures which are, are constantly needing to, to get better and to improve and to not be trapped in the comfort zone. I think it's good that we're uncomfortable. It pushes us to grow, to evolve, and to be better. And so purpose. That was purpose. So mission. Mission I find to be different than purpose in the sense that, well, which in those areas do uh, um, I show uh, a unique talent, something that I find to be excellently interesting and to go all in on, uh, something that I might have a gift to share to the world and to others, would be more going narrowly in on purpose to find out, well, what, what exactly is, is the mission that I have? You know, I get asked this question a lot, especially when I was at the university and students would be uh, trying to really identify, you know, what should I be majoring in? Why am I here? What should I be doing? What's my purpose? There's this uh, exercise of uh, four questions. I think it comes from something called like the Icky Man, which uh, has four questions, which would ask, what is it you love to do? Question one. What is it you're good at? Question two. What is it the world needs? Question three. And how can you make a living at it? Question four. So if the answers to those all questions can align, that can help drive us to what our specific mission is. So question one, what do you love to do? 
And so this would mean for me, what would I be doing even if I wasn't paid for it on the weekends with my leisure time? What is it that I love to do? For me, I like being physically active. I like being engaging in all kinds of things, swimming, running, biking, surfing, nature, going out to springs and the beach and being outside and doing it with other people. I find to be wildly meaningful. And uh, yeah, so I really love doing that. So question two, what are you good at? Well, um, I'm not world champion in any of those. Maybe shown some, you know, but I can't make a living not doing any of those other kind of things. But um, talking, uh, teaching, coaching, I've dipped my toe into those realms and, and found to be uh, semi-good or at least very interested in doing some of that. I've been, you know, well-reviewed or received in, in those areas. So um, okay, uh, I'll, I'll take that. What does the world need? Well, I could argue that the world needs to be more physically active, and I think the research you know, bears that out and needs to be more engaged in nature and all those other kind of things and, and certainly could use more good teachers and coaches and, and uh, certainly some of that. Okay, so how can I make a living out of that? Well, there's a lot of professions out there. Uh, you know, I started out as a uh, coach and as a teacher, and certainly nowadays there's like health coaches, personal trainers, you know, virtually or in person that do all this kind of work. And so I could easily align with my specific interests and mission, uh, those four questions together about what do I love to do? What am I good at? What does the world need? And how can I make a living doing that? So I you know, invite you all, if you're looking for purpose or a specific mission within your purpose to figure out, work yourself through those questions and find out how you can actually uh, make a good living, giving something to the world that is sorely needed, that you love to do, and that you're good at. And there's plenty of things I love to do and I'm not good at, and certainly that the world doesn't need, and uh, certainly couldn't monetize. I'm confident that just about anything that you love to do and show a little bit of a skill set at doing is something that anyone in the world would perhaps pay for that you could make a living in doing. And in doing that, and if if I'm able, and I have been, to identify what those things are, I can then come up with what is known as a mission statement. So as the Center for Independent Living in North Central Florida, we recently went through a strategic planning process about a year and a half, two years ago, where we really sharpened up our mission statement. Nearly every organization has a mission statement. So our mission at the Center for Independent Living in North Central Florida is to empower people with disabilities to achieve their independent living goals. Very simple, very crisp, and very meaningful. And after we did that, after we went through that exercise, and this took a a good half year of input from staff and everybody and getting people's takes on this, and we worked very hard at it and spending so much time on it, it dawned on me that, you know what, I don't have a personal mission statement. You know, spending all this time coming up with a mission statement for an organization I dearly love and my heart's into it, and I want to live a meaningful life, well, it's important enough for an organization to have it to give it clarity, to give it direction. Why don't I have a personal mission statement that is built on answering those four questions? And so I came up with a personal mission statement. And I even, you know, with my family, we came up with a mission statement for a family. Mission statements are huge. It can give us that clarity. It can be the North Star that helps to guide us, especially during uncertain times. I think one thing that's very important among many things, I suppose, is that when we do identify what our mission is, declare it. 
call it out into a statement, something that you can, or I can say to myself on a daily basis, which I do, which is hugely important because as with an organization, once you have your mission statement, you have a vision for the future and a path forward, now you can set goals. Now I can set goals. Anyone that knows goal setting 101, right? Smart goals, smart S that are specific, M, measurable, A, attainable, R, realistic, T, time-oriented. So now that I have clarity on what my mission is and I got a statement about it, I can now set goals. If you set goals, if I set goals, we're more likely to attain the goals. We're more likely to achieve the mission. And certainly goals, it doesn't stop there. Well, what are the objectives? What are the steps that are needed to achieve the goals? And those can break out into getting educated, getting the skill set necessary, adopting the habits and behaviors that'll take you down the path of achieving the goals, of realizing the mission of why we are here on this planet and what we have to contribute to people. And along the way, it takes a lot of values and virtues to be able to achieve. So yeah, it's good to have clarity and a mission statement and goals and objectives and, and to get educated on the behaviors and execute and do all those other things. But along the way, it takes motivation, it takes discipline, it takes time management, it takes humility, it takes empathy, it takes gratitude, it takes a lot of the different values and virtues as well to achieve our goals and our mission. Uh, I find that to be hugely important for me. I love that because then it still pushes me down that path of how to be a better person through identifying my mission, to identifying with clarity what the goals and objectives are, to creating the habits in my life, but to sticking with those habits, really digging in on what you know, values and virtues are needed. And that, that one thing with values and virtues is super important too. That probably should be something that as well as going through those four questions, is an important question to ask too. What, what are my values? What do I value? I value health. I value learning. I value integrity, hard work. I value being adaptive. I've had to learn to be adaptive with my disability. I value being humbled. I, I value knowing my size, my place. I value caring about other people, empathy. I value gratitude because so much has been given to me in my life that it's important for me to be grateful. And so those values can also hone in on what my mission is here and to be able to really execute on achieving the mission is really holding those values near and dear to my heart because it goes beyond just the clarity, the goal setting, the behaviors and the habits. Got to hold on to those values if we want to stay on the path and really achieve it. So how does this all relate to uh, people with disabilities? And again, I'm answering this question of uh, why am I here? So for me, as I alluded to earlier, the purpose in my life that I've identified and why am I here is to be the best version of myself possible physically, mentally, emotionally, socially, spiritually, professionally. In doing that and in having a disability, I recognize that in, in some of those areas, I'm going to be have an additional challenge and barrier into doing that. And so if these are areas that are important to you and if you have a disability, um, why it should matter is that, okay, recognize that maybe you have a cognitive impairment in the mental 
aspect of mental health and, and even social health. It could be an extra barriers and extra challenges. And, you know, that's, a, that's an important thing to be aware of that we might have additional ones. We also might, because of our disability, actually have an easier time in certain areas to be able to, to achieve. For example, emotionally. Well, I've had to learn how to deal with um, my emotions in a way that I probably wouldn't have been challenged to if I didn't have a disability. I've had to get over worrying about what other people think of me. Um, and certainly that's very hard and it's very difficult and I can sometimes be challenged in that and that can certainly impact how I feel about myself. But from a young age and with the stigma with disability, I've had to learn how to become you know, emotionally resilient to people that I might be seeking their approval of and not getting their approval because they're making fun of me. You know, I've had to learn to be emotionally resilient. And maybe I'll become socially healthier because of that, not needing other the validation of other people as much as I would need it if I didn't have a disability. So in some of these areas, yeah, it could be more challenging having a disability, but in, in certain aspects, it could benefit us having a disability. Another way is that for me, uh, living up to my potential in each of these areas is exactly what it means for me to live independently. If I can do the best I can in each of these areas, optimize it with harmony, that is to me what it means to live independently. The independent life to me is being able to maximize to the greatest of my capabilities each of those different areas and to be able to integrate it with harmony into my life. And, and for me, that is achieving independent living. If I'm able to do that, and man, if I'm blessed enough to inspire others along the way to do the same, wow, that that's amazing. So People with disabilities who've been inspirational have kind of gotten a knock in recent years, like the stigma that if someone who achieves well, has a disability, is inspiring to others, has been seen by some as being a negative thing because of, you know we don't want certain people, don't want people with disabilities just to be looked at as, oh, you're so inspirational, you got a job and you have a disability. Get it, fully get it. At the same time, I also get that people with disabilities do want to be inspirational to each other. I invite you to go listen to the long-form interview with James Jones. Okay, this man lives to be inspirational, and he is inspirational. He's a recovering from aphasia. He's recovering from a stroke. And so he has limited physical mobility, yet he is out there being as physically active as any able-bodied person out there. He is doing things that most people in this situation would never do, and, and most people who are able-bodied would never do. And he's being super inspirational to people with all kinds of disabilities. And so if someone who doesn't have a disability can look at James Jones and they're living a sedentary life and say, oh my gosh, like this guy is being super active and, and doing all these kind of things, and here I am, completely able-bodied with no physical limitations, and I'm living a sedentary lifestyle. And if James Jones would love to inspire that person. So for those of us who are okay with inspiring other people, we may be able to inspire other people, whether you know, it's professionally, whether it's uh, socially, whether it's physically, whether it's mentally and showing toughness and resilience, how to tame our emotions, whatever it may be, because you know, people might look at us and say, oh man, despite their quote unquote limitations, they're still able to do. They're not doing this with excuses. They're not doing this and holding on to all the other reasons that others might be giving to, to not doing it. So living our mission, living our purpose can be inspirational for other people and to lift other people up for them to be the better version of themselves as well. That brings me full circle into again, like how are we answering, you know, that statement that Viktor Frankl said, life is asking us what is the meaning and our answers are our actions 
if we want to answer life, what is asking the meaning of life, why are you here? Why are you here? Are you here to make the world a better place? Are you here to bring happiness and joy into uh, a planet that is certainly has its fair share of hatred, anger, division, discrimination? Are you here to perpetuate that? Are you here to be a better version of yourself? Well, you can say what you're going to say. I can say what I'm going to say. But ultimately, the answer is going to be our behavior. As a, as a Stoic philosopher said, quit arguing about what a good person is and be one. Goes to the commonly said quote nowadays, show me. Don't sell me, show me. So I've been selling you over now three podcast dojo episodes about the importance of answering these questions. Who am I? Why are we here? And why are you here? I invite you to ask yourself those three questions. And ultimately, how you act, how you behave, how I act, how I behave, will be the answer to life asking us, what is the meaning of life, the independent life? Thanks for listening to the Independent Life Podcast, brought to you by the Center for Independent Living of North Central Florida. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you know anyone who might benefit from listening, share this podcast and invite them to subscribe too. For questions, suggestions, or if you have a story you'd like to share, please email us at cilncf.org at gmail.com or call us at 352-378-7474. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, support, advocate, and empower each other to live the independent life.